Good morning. I'd like to begin by thanking Redbridge Community Radio. I'm very much looking forward to talking with you for half an hour this morning and also to uh, the future sessions that we're planning on a weekly basis. Interesting that I say sessions, I am a psychotherapist, it's a show. Um, so I, I'm going to begin by introducing myself. My name is uh, Victoria Baskerville. I'm a, a transactional analyst, psychotherapist, and I'm also the founder of the TA East London Counselling and Psychotherapy Training Institute. So transactional analysis, some of you may have heard of it, I'm okay, you're okay, which is a central feature to transactional analysis. So back in the 60s, Eric Byrne, who was the founder, originally was a psychoanalyst, along with uh, others like Rogers and, and Pearls, and they'd obviously been influenced by Freud. Now, as you're probably aware, psychoanalysis very much comes from the medical model of, uh, of practice. So it's very much based on the, the analyst being the expert and the analyst assessing clients, diagnosing clients, treating clients. And, and very much the, the, the client is a passive, uh, often can be a passive receiver or historically uh, when psychoanalysis developed all those years ago. So what Byrne wanted to do is he really wanted to make psychotherapy much more accessible to the masses and to the layperson. Uh, transaction analysis was originally a social psychology, so it's much more about looking out into the world, it's much more about popular culture, it's much more about psychoeducation. At the time you had Carl Rogers who was really the first uh, practitioner, psychotherapist, who really coined the idea of humanistic philosophy. I mean, if we think about the social context of the time, California in the 50s and the 60s, post-war, it was really a time of optimism, a time of opportunity, a time of choice, a time of autonomy. And this is how these humanistic theories grew just as psychoanalysis developed in the 30s where there was a lot of conflict in the world in terms of war and a lot of the theories about splitting and, and, and dark sides of self and conflict within self as the humanistic philosophy is about that innate drive towards health, that innate drive to grow and to develop. And indeed, Rogers, um, he talked about an analogy of the potato that's in, in, in the ground or indeed in the corner of the cupboard. And somehow the, the potato continues to grow, it, it finds the light. So this innate drive uh, for, for health. So transactionalysis is very much rooted in the humanistic philosophy and it's based on the belief that I'm okay, you're okay. So the core philosophies are that all people are okay. Everybody has the capacity to think and that all people can change. That's the core tenets of the philosophy. And of course we accept that, of course, there are people that don't have the capacity to think because of their... Uh, physiological experience because of perhaps a disability and of course we also are aware that there are people that are possibly you know well most definitely more privileged than others but the belief is is I'm okay you're okay. Transaction analysis has grown up greatly since the 60s uh, and interestingly while it has a, 
a humanistic philosophy, it's integrated back in some of the original psychoanalytical thinking uh, in um, Eric Byrne's work. So, so we do really look at the unconscious as well. And um, we look at themes around what we project onto each other and what gets reenacted uh, in, in our lives uh, based on our history. So I want to um, introduce some of the concepts of, of transactional analysis. So um, some of you may be aware of them and some of you may have done a little bit of reading and read some of the earlier books um, that were developed in the 60s. I'm okay, you're okay, what do you say after you say hello? Are some of the popular culture texts that were around back then. The theory that Eric Byrne brought to us is he brought the theory of personality, which is ego states based on uh, the parent, the adult and the child, which I'm, I'm going to talk about a bit later. And he also put, brought the drama triangle, which is a really simple way of understanding what positions we take up in the world. He also introduced script to us, life script, which is about how we decide beliefs based on our experience. And then he brought other theories, games theory, which again is linked with the drama triangle, stroke theory, how we, we receive feeling recognised, and so on. Before I go into some of the concepts, I'd like to talk about um, the TA East London Institute that I'm a founder of. Having been a psychotherapist for over 20 years, uh, what I really became aware of, definitely working in East London, which is a, a multi-diverse community, is that psychotherapy is largely a very white, privileged profession. And to me, it didn't really reflect the diversity that, that, we, that we experience in London and in Britain. And I felt really passionate about really making psychotherapy accessible in the way that Byrne originally wanted to. So Eric Byrne had this vision, he wanted to move away from this privileged model and he wanted to really invite all, for all, for the masses across all the different differences to actually be able to access psychological support and psychological help. Now, I think over the decades, that, that in some ways has got lost. Byrne very much saw transactional analysis as a group therapy, uh, which again is much more accessible in terms of, of cost and in terms of accessibility. But over the decades, it, it has very much returned to an individual therapy. And TA East really is about really going back to those psych, psych, social um, roots and to really again think about how do we make psychotherapy transaction analysis accessible and also not only in terms of people accessing personal therapy for themselves but also people training to be psychotherapists so having been a psychotherapist for 20 years based in in Wolfham Forest and in Redbridge and having had a full practice for that time I've been chronically aware by how how little is provided in terms of um, capacity in the NHS, uh, that we're bursting in capacity in terms of how many clients are coming through the door. And so, there's such a need, I think, to, to offer this psychological support to everyone. And I think particularly now we're faced with the pandemic and we know that there's going to be, there is an absolute upsurge in terms of mental health crisis and there will continue to be. 
And I think there's something about really making it so embedded and integrated into our everyday experience and culture so that psychotherapy and counselling is seen as something that is as valid as, I don't know, education, as valid as um, all the other right, rights um, that we expect to have uh, in, in our daily lives. So, um, TA East. So TA East, um, I want to just talk to you about some of the values of TA East. So it's very much a training. It's a training, a professional training for people to become counsellors and psychotherapists. And it's really delivered in the spirit of the TA philosophy, that all people are okay. And it's an inclusive training. So what I mean by that is we're really thinking about who we invite into training, how we invite into training, people into training how the lay person I guess can really see themselves as becoming a professional counsellor or psychotherapist so we we really do go out into the community not at the moment because of the pandemic hence being on the radio but we've been we, we go to community festivals uh, Wanstead festivals we sit in libraries uh, indeed uh, the training is housed in the Leytonstone library and the Leighton um, Municipal Building, the Old Town Hall, as a way of really being rooted into the community. Because I think often psychotherapists are, they're, they're hidden away. They're hidden away in private practices, behind closed doors, and so are training institutes, hidden away in residential areas, um, and and also in academic journals, um, we you know we hide ourselves away. So TA East is about really being in the community for the community, and really making being having being visible and being really at the heart of that urban urban edge. So we really want it to reflect the diversity of London community, and rooted in that, we we really want to think it as it as a socially conscious training. So really being aware of the social, the cultural, the historical, and the political context um, to living in the world right now, and all that the individual. Uh, faces in that experience. Now, of course, as individuals, we live in groups, uh, and I think that psychotherapy sometimes does focus quite a lot on the individual and what we're really looking to develop is looking at the, the, the group experience, the collective as well as alongside the individual experience. The course, of course, is also uh, registered. Um, it's a professional course which is accredited by the UK uh, Council for Psychotherapy. So we, we are regulated and um, we are also a part of the UK Association of Transaction Analysis. And of course, we abide by ethical codes and ethical practice. So in terms of TA East, I, I want to talk a little bit more about what I mean when I talk about this sense of, of being in community. We, we, we see that it's really important that we find a way to offer, I guess, psychoeducation to people who, who are you know, really struggling to access counselling and psychotherapy. So some of you might have, have heard of the, the listening posts that we had across the libraries, not last summer, unfortunately, but the summer of 2019, where we set up listening posts in, in Barkingside and in Fullwell Cross and in Wanstead and in Ilford Library, where for afternoons we invited people to come and to talk. 
because listening can uh, and talking and being heard and listened to cannot be ever uh, underrated and uh, it was a profound experience where some people came along who never really allowed themselves to really talk and be heard by another uh, that's one of the projects we, we have another project in the moment uh, with the um, a carers association um, Redbridge Forum and uh, we're currently looking for, for some funding but at the moment we're, we're doing the project jointly and, and um, we're, we're, we're basically supporting carers who take care of, of, of their carers to their own children who, who have a, a diverse needs. And we're running six weekly uh, sessions where uh, these people are coming together with a psychotherapist for between an hour and a half and, and two hours per week to get support, to share their experience, to be witness to each other's experience and also to be introduced to some of the concepts of transaction analysis that can really shed a light on um, on self-experience. And, uh, and I think that what I love about some of the transaction analysis models is that really very quickly uh, people can really have a different lens on themselves uh, and maybe the choices they might have to, to have a different experience. We've also uh, been talking to the Lee Valley uh, Foundation, uh, which is a project that supports young people about developing uh, some psychoeducation groups with them. And, and we're very open to other possibilities. Uh, we, we usually run taster sessions, and um, but as I say, currently this is limited due to not being out, being able to be out in the world. I'd say that TA East is very much being on the street. It's very much about being in the heart of the urban community. So hence, I'm hoping that this community uh, radio will give a real good opportunity to reach out into the community and that you will reach back to us and and that in that we'll be able to have dialogues in terms of thinking about what people need and um, what people would like from us uh, and what subjects indeed you'd like us to discuss on the radio as an opportunity to bring people in uh, as guest speakers and um, to think about all the themes that many of us are faced with at the moment. So I'm going to now move on to introducing ego states. So ego states is a central model in transaction analysis. And if you were to imagine three circles sitting on top of each other, in fact, you might want to draw it now. So um, a circle and then another circle under it and another circle under that and written in it PAC. This is the image I have in my head as I'm speaking with you. So ego states are a theory of personality and a theory of understanding self and a theory of understanding how we relate to ourselves and the inner dialogue that we have with ourselves and that intrapsychic process that we repeat within ourselves, which then we project out into the world. So PAC. PAC stands for the parent, the adult and the child. And what Eric Byrne said is this, he, he, in fact, he did this piece of research. He was um, in the army as a, a medical corp uh, when he was um, a psychoanalyst. 
And this is where he developed the theory of ego states. Um, he, he said that he would sit with, um, he, in, he described it as a man of his time, he would sit with the men in, in the army and uh, he said that within three minutes he could see, he could assess the ego states of these men. And what he meant was that he could, it, you probably heard of the saying that you see, you see the seven-year-old boy in the grown man. And what he said is that people shift around in themselves in any given moment. So he developed this piece of theory, parent, adult, child. And what he said is the ego state parent is filled with messages, do's and don'ts from parents, swallowing whole our parents interjects. So in there um, would be, you know, depending on your parent configuration, but would be, you know, mother, the swallowing whole of mother, mother's uh, don't messages, mother's do messages. And in there, maybe father or, or whoever it might be that's influenced as teachers and grandparents and aunts and significant others. So the parent ego state is like a historical ego state. It's a past ego state. And it is filled with all those interjects, all those messages, parental messages, and we could also argue that the cultural self sits there as well. So particularly around, I guess, religion and uh, 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 of how to be in the world. So, so we might have messages like, I'm thinking of things like, children should be seen and not heard. I'm thinking of messages like, um, if I'm thinking back to some of my northern culture, maybe, you know, uh, uh, we haven't got time to feel. Or, or, or we must be strong, um, or um, feelings are weak. So all these messages that are up there that might come from parents like work hard and try hard and don't make a fuss and don't make demands and don't have needs could be stored in the parent ego state. So what we're saying here is that everybody in this theory, remember it is a theory, and it only really makes sense if we can bring it alive in ourselves. But that this is a piece of theory to really understand self in, a, in a, a way that is accessible. So then I'm moving down to the child and I'll come back to the adult in the middle, in, in a moment, which is in the middle. So the child ego state is made up with beliefs, beliefs about self. Now Burns said that by the age of six, we have formed our beliefs about ourselves. By the age of six, we have decided what we believe about ourselves, others and the world, and that we formed our core self. So sitting in the child ego state would be, again, historical. So childhood experiences, healthy experiences and challenging experiences, traumas, beliefs about self, unresolved experiences about self as well as healthy aspiration and those those joyful elements of child so if we think now about the parent ego state that maybe has a message of don't feel yet the child does feel because we come into the world and we do feel so it might be that the child therefore forms a belief that feelings are not okay so sitting in the parent ego state is don't feel the child does feel, but as a consequently, because of the dynamic with parent and the, the power dynamic, maybe starts to develop a belief that feelings aren't okay. Other beliefs that might be in child might be, I'm not good enough. 
might be um, others are better, might be I'm special, might be great permissions, you know, of aspiration. So it's all mixed in the child ego state. And as you're starting to probably understand is that both are historical. We've got the parent ego state, which was filled with all those messages from parents and significant others. And then we've got the child ego state that is filled with self-experience right from, we would say in transactionalysis, right from in the womb, the child at a very, in the body level, starts to develop themselves, even before cognition. Um, so for example, the baby that learns to not cry because they pick up intuitively that mother can't tolerate the crying, say. It might not be mother. Uh, we have to be really mindful that, that you know, mothers mostly do their best and have good intention. And it's not always mothers taking care of babies, but there's something about that babies start to develop their personality from being in the womb and from birth. So let's now move to the adult ego state. So the adult ego state, Burns said, is the appropriate response to the here and now. So he would see this as really, um, well, what I've just said, that, that if, if something happens to me that impacts me, if I'm bereaved, then it's appropriate to feel sad. That if somebody is angry with me, it's appropriate to feel, I don't know, maybe angry or maybe sad, but there's something about, it's an appropriate in that it's about being rooted in the here and now. Now, what Burns said is what often happens is that these ego states get quite mixed up. We call it contamination. So we might think that we're responding appropriately in the here and now. But instead, what we're doing is we're replaying these parental messages or we're reenacting our childhood beliefs. So we're behaving. We're in the here and now. We're grown up in the here and now. But actually, we're coming from a historical ego state. And what Burns said, he said that in any given moment, we could be in one of these states, that we move around them. So I've asked you to draw these three circles that sit on top of each other. So I don't mean laid on top of each other. I mean one ego state, then one underneath, and then one underneath with the circles touching. Now, what Burns said is that the, the, the parent can overlap the adult and the child can overlap the adult. And we think... We have these, you know, the times we feel so sure that this is the reality, yet it is the parental messages. It's our mother speaking to us. It's our father speaking to us. It's an influential teacher speaking to us. It's a religious leader. And we see that as the absolute reality. Or we play these child beliefs. We go about the world in our child ego state, believing that this is the absolute reality reality when actually what we're doing is we're seeing the lens we're seeing the world through a historical lens and that at any given moment we might be in one of these ego states so the way that this would work in transactionalysis psychotherapy is we would teach clients the ego state model and we would invite them to really be aware of which ego state they are in in any given moment which you can see starts to really empower the client because if a client thinks, well, actually, I, I, at work, I experience myself in child 
and then they're feeling that they're often being got at or misunderstood, then it's quite possible that they're coming from quite a passive place and quite a disempowered place. And then they're not taking their power in the here and now in adult. As transactional analysts, of course, we're constantly asking ourselves as the therapist, which ego state am I in? So if each time a client comes into the room and I experience myself going into child, that is information for me. So I'm interested in that. I'm thinking that's interesting that this client comes into the room and I somehow go into what we'd call a one down uh, position. And why am I not staying in adult? Um, now, of course, it's my responsibility as a psychotherapist to say, stay an adult. And indeed, what Byrne would have said is this is an unconscious process that I'm describing. In fact, it's very much what um, Freud would have talked about as transference. So he talked about how we project parts of ourselves onto other people that are historical, parental figures he talked about. So in this situation, what Byrne was really wanting to do was to bring ego states to make a model that people could really get. So if a client comes to the room and I'm experiencing myself in child, then I'm asking myself in adult, how come this is happening to me? So we could say that adult is about being conscious. As when we're in child or parent, it's an unconscious process. And it's only the adult, because the adult is in touch with the here and now reality, that can really bring in that, that light, uh, those, that lens on, on what we might be reenacting from the past. So if this client is, I'm in child, then I'm probably, then become aware in my adult that they're probably functioning from parents. And I start to be interested. So... Another thing that I would say about ego states is that we have preferred ones. So some people go about the world living in their parent ego state, which keeps them very protected against the, all their feelings and experiences in child. Another person may go around the world living in their child ego state, but they don't have a parental protector, say, um, that they, they, they may feel quite um, disempowered in the world because they don't have that strong parent or indeed that much adult. Now, of course, most of us do have enough adult to go about the world because if we didn't have adult, then we wouldn't be in reality at all. Um, but I think that really looking at ego states can really give us a comprehensive understanding of the self and how we relate. And uh, I've said that I'm a transactional analyst and we have a piece of theory called transactional analysis proper, which is looking at about how we relate with others in terms of ego states. So somebody who lives in parent is probably either going to go and seek other parents out or they're going to go and seek out those that live in child. And those that live in child are going to seek out those that live in parent and vice versa. So you can see how the enactment keeps going rather than the adult reality. So that's probably enough in terms of really thinking about ego states. And it really is just a whistle-stop tour of ego states. Um, but just really, I'd be really interested in hearing from you in terms of what topics you would like me to discuss. 
and indeed which transaction analysis concepts and other concepts because over the years I've become quite an integrative psychotherapist so I certainly can um, draw on other models for you as well um, and whether you'd like me uh, to interview uh, and to just also say a little bit about TAEs that we um, we often, as I say, we do have taster sessions and we do do introductory courses um, and we're, off, we're very much about making those accessible. So we're often willing to offer some lower fee spaces and some free spaces on some of these. I think that's probably it for today and uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to, to talking with you all again next week on Monday at 11am and having a weekly show. Interestingly, I've been musing what to call this and um, I'm wondering whether this is called I'm okay, you're okay or whether um, it's about a show about understanding self or insight into self. This, this is the beginning. The beginning of a process and I'd really like to engage people from the uh, the community to really think about how I and you can use this time to really support each other in terms of sense of community, sense of uh, social responsibility, the collective, but also support during this time of the pandemic and, and this and how we really recognize each other's vulnerability right now so i'm thinking back in ego states again and thinking that of course right now during the pandemic it's really appropriate to have a whole breadth of feelings to feel anxious to feel scared to feel under threat um and and maybe to feel some relief for those who are sheltering in their homes and feel safe but i think the parent ego state can come in and say oh you mustn't feel it's not okay to feel anxious and I guess that's the bit that I think that the transaction analysis theory can really help of where we can look at how do we replace those parental messages with permissions so instead of don't feel don't think a permission to feel and to think and to have your feelings I'm going to end there and uh, thank you and I will very much look forward to talking and meeting you all again next Monday thank you Good morning, Redbridge Community Radio. Thank you for joining me today. This is Victoria Baskerville. I'm a psychotherapist, transactional analyst, and the founder of TA East London Institute. Thank you for joining I'm OK, You're OK with TA East. Over the course of the last five weeks, I've spent time reflecting on transaction analysis concepts and how they can be applied to self and to other. And I hope that they have been facilitative uh, and enabled a process for you in terms of self-awareness and self-reflection. Today, I'm thinking of really spending more time on reflecting on the world right now. So for all of us, our lives have changed in many different ways. Uh, For some people, they've spent the last year being on the front line, absolutely stretched, really spending their time serving others and maybe having minimal time to reflect on themselves. While others have been furloughed, have maybe been at risk of losing their jobs and indeed have lost their jobs and have had much longer to to be in a, a place of reflection 
but also probably a place of anxiety of what now. And then, of course, we've had the tragic loss of, of many loved ones. We have uh, an increase in depression. We have an increase in um, anxiety. And we have an increase in in all kind of mental health themes young, among young people, um, which is, is of great concern. So you know, everybody's life has been put on hold. Our children and our young people have, you know, been stopped in their developmental tracks. And we have lived in isolation. I think in the, the first and the second lockdown, there was much more a sense of, of community, of reaching out. Uh, and I think my sense now, or my experience now, particularly in my work as a psychotherapist, is that people are chronically tired. People are chronically fatigued and do not have the space to to be in touch with people um, in terms of being online or on the telephone or on the screen. They're chronically fatigued because this isn't really real connection. It's not contact in that in the room way that we experience when we're in with another. Well, people have been standing on their doorsteps, talking to their loved ones. They've been waving through their windows. But there's a deep, deep longing to be in connection with the people that we love uh, and with our community. I've been feeling particularly reflective over the course of the last week and and it's interesting of course as a psychotherapist it's so important to reflect uh, because we sit for days on end with people really walking alongside them reflecting on their journeys uh, uh, and really walking in their world so it's really important as a psychotherapist that we're really grounded in our own world and that we are reflective of where we are. Yet, as a psychotherapist, the last work year, sorry, has also been about, it's been about being online. It's been about from morning to night, session after session with people who are, are depressed and who are really struggling through this really catastrophic change that we've all been facing, which I don't think really will be accounted for until we're out of this. Uh, however, I, I've just been teaching this weekend uh, the foundation year, which is the first group of training, and it really is a a reflective space because I think that people come in to train as counsellors and psychotherapists with the desire to help others. I think that really the unconscious motivation for people to come in to train as counsellors and psychotherapists is to find meaning to find meaning in their lives in order to support people to find meaning in theirs. Because ultimately, I think that's all we have, is meaning and relationship. And I think that the way that society has developed over the last decades, somehow we've lost sight of that. We've lost sight of how important the environment is. We've lost sight of the quality of relationship. We've lost sight in the ordinary. It's interesting, in my work as a therapist, when I've had people come to me who have been in high-profile jobs, people who've been uh, famous, people who have wanted to be famous. And actually, the job, I think, of the psychotherapist is to hold the ordinary, that life is ordinary, 
and that nobody is greater than anybody else. And that, that actually, if we can really embrace the ordinary, then we can really have an extraordinary experience in life. And that's been really challenging for some of the people that I've worked with who've really desired, des- desired to really be in the spotlight. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but what I am saying is that I think it's about what is meaningful to us. Being meaningful is about feeling uh, in connection. It's about, in our being, being able to be authentic, being able to have intimacy uh, with another, feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling understood. And I, I think that I've talked quite a lot over the last weeks about, about love, actually, and the place of love in the work of psychotherapy. Now, it's interesting um, this year, of, there's a real hope, of course, that the world is going to open up and, and TA East is very much community-based and we're based in Redbridge and Waltham Forest and we do engage ourselves in a lot of the community activities. And I've noticed this year that the, the art trail, uh, the art trail's theme is about uh, the year that, that nature took its place because uh, I think many of you will have seen lots of images around of where um, wildlife are, are taking their place because uh, they've got more space. And I, I really like that image of the year that nature took its place. Now, I'm thinking about the self and us in terms of humanly, and maybe this is the year that we're stopped in our tracks. And I want to acknowledge those that maybe haven't got the privilege of stopping in their tracks. But I hope for all of us, this is a time of of reflection. It's a time where we are really holding social responsibility and social justice as central in our lives. There's been such an uprising over the the course of the last weeks of of different events um, that have been so moving around gender and race and um, uh, which I think I brought in last week so I'm not going to go there but this week I really want to invite you to reflect on what is it that is meaningful in your life what would it be like to stop in your tracks and to consider what is it that you are living for So I'd like to read a poem to you um, that was shared with me recently. And it's called The Age of Authenticity by Maya Luna. And I'd like to share this with you. uh, And then I'm going to invite you to reflect on your own values and invite you to reflect on what does it mean for you right now to live authentically? What is important to you? What is meaningful to you? This is quite a long poem, so I invite you to sit back and to reflect on you. The Age of Authenticity by Maya Luna It's 2020. We are no longer trading in our soul for the allure of money, the seduction of fame, the euphoric fantasies of intoxicated love. We see the game. The jig is up. We no longer chase the carrot that never nourishes our hunger. We no longer seek the shiny package with a rotten hollow core. 
We are done letting shame fuel our hunger for unattainable perfection. We no longer believe the lies of the polished perfect ones. The mask is slipping. We know the script. The emperor, the emperor has no clothes. We no longer believe our will is God. We are no longer satisfied with the sickly taste of sweetness, delivered with a grimace, shaped like a smile. We are ready to feast on the fruit of the real. We are returning to innocence. We are bored with corrupt systems that seek to cut out our hearts in exchange for a dead performance. We are no longer charmed by the siphoning of our essence in exchange for a bad deal. We no longer colour inside the lines. We delight in making mistakes. We are rapturous in our play. We allow the unfolding to be a revelation. The mystery is our garrow. The unformed rose is our muse. We are undone with the trance of the illusion of control. We are learning how to dance with the spontaneous arising of the, this holy moment. We no longer need to know. We are in love with our unknowing. We are inhabiting our imperfections. We are letting the body lead. We are listening. We are receiving. We are letting grace have its way. We are submitting to the sublime in the ordinary. We are remembering we are beautiful. We are discovering what beauty is. We are finding. We are being. We are no longer serious. In our seeking, we seek like children, playing games for fun. We are delighted in being found. We are drinking the nectar of our own presence. We are letting God break in. We no longer run away from the haunting void. We are no longer attempting to fill it, stuff it or hide it away. We are falling into the emptiness. We are finding fullness here. We are coming home. The jig is up. We recognise the illusion of glamour, the twisted sickness of false promises, the cruelty of fixing that was never broken. We have no hope for perfection. We seek the fastness of humility, the infinite in the small. We are drunk with sober faith. We are living off the breath of truth, radically available, merciful, in its abundance. We are finished earning love. We are done chasing the dream. The jig is up. The game is tired, played out. We are letting ourselves have it all. We are experiencing fulfillment without ever leaving ourselves again. We are tired of being rigid. We find ecstasy in the supple. We are learning to make love. 
Limitation is our sanctuary. The simple heart is our refuge. We are burning the map. We are dancing on the ashes. We are moving from fullness. We are delighted in stillness. We are learning to walk with eyes closed. We are no longer waiting for life to begin. We are finally free to live. So gosh, that's a very moving poem. And I'm sure that it will speak to each of you in different ways. And I think that in that poem, in reading it again, I think that we're in that right now. We have been stopped in our tracks. We have been invited to take a different route. And maybe the fire isn't over yet. I think we're still in the fire. And maybe we're not quite really with the the phoenix that perhaps can rise after the fire. And many of us, as I say, you know, this this poem won't speak to you. You'll think, what is this? Because for many of you, you are on the front line, still fighting the flames. But I think the point that I really want to bring to you is that our lives have been stopped in their tracks and our world has been stopped on it, in its tracks. And in many ways, it was, on, it was a, on a journey that had to be stopped. It has been a brutal stopping and a, a costly stopping. But I guess as, as a psychotherapist and as a person and as a mother and as a teacher, I'm thinking to myself, how do I want to carry on living in this world? And, and I want to, I guess I want to live my values. I want to walk the talk. I want to change how I contribute to the world. So I'm now going to take us back to transactional analysis because, uh, of course, transactional analysis is all about reflection on self and reflection on the other and we have many models that enable that and of course it's all about accessibility it's about these broadcasts are about bringing the ideas of transaction analysis to everyone that this isn't an exclusive club uh, where psychotherapists and counsellors sit and have this reflective space but this is for everybody sitting on their sofa when they have a moment um, maybe even when they're multitasking, to actually think, what does my life look like right now? What could it be like? And even what could it be like with the limits in which I live and the, the lack of privilege I may have as well as the privilege I have? So I want to br- um, bring you to um, a questionnaire uh, that's cited in a book called Born to to Win, which was written by Muriel James. And it's quite an old book. It, it was written back in the 1970s. But it's, it, it's a, a questionnaire within it that I've come back to many times in my work as a psychotherapist with clients and also in my work as a trainer, uh, teaching people to really reflect on their own values. Uh, and this bit is called it's a piece called adult ethics and it's about how we develop our own code of ethics so we do live 
within a system. And some of that system will speak to us and some of it will not. And I think in the uh, the reflective poem just now, I, I think I was really struck struck by the lack of power that many of us have in terms of living in the system that we have. So, you know, of course, there are going to be people who are more oppressed than others, but there's something, we're all in this system. And and we go about that as if it's as if it is the reality even though much of it is constructed so from that poem i'd really like to take you to to uh, this questionnaire and i'm going to talk you through it so you might want to get a piece of paper and write down the questions um and then afterwards to really reflect on these questions which maybe might bring a sharp focus on what is it, what is, what does a meaningful life look, look like for you? And it might be that you can't have this now, but maybe this is something that you can work to for the future. Because I guess if we keep repeating the same, the same ways of being, the same thoughts, the same behaviours, then we carry on doing the same thing and having the same life. So this is and can be a moment of pause amongst the busyness amongst the haste amongst the grief amongst amongst all that's going on right now and and I think that grief in itself brings a time for reflection Uh, both my parents have passed away in the last in the last 18 months and I think for me it does bring reflection on my history, my childhood, my relationship with my parents, the gratitude that I feel, the making sense of, the wondering if things could have been different, you know, in terms of the way that I was. Um, So I think that grief in itself, once we are out of the immediacy of it, does bring reflection. So here we go, adult ethics. This is inviting you from your here and now reality, to ask these questions, from your adult. Who and what do I value? Who and what do I live for? Who and what would I die for? What does my life mean to me now? What could it mean? What does my life mean to others now? Others to come. Do I act in such a way to preserve and enhance creation? What is really important. List the five things you value most in life. Now rate your values in their priority. Profound questions which I'm going to go back through because you may not have written them all down. I don't think I think that this is going to be something that you're going to reflect on for quite a while 
and and this is is the is the beginning of that process so who and what do i value that's quite a quite a challenging question who and what do i value i guess if i was answering that i'd be thinking i value relationship And I value people I love. And my values are based on social responsibility. I'd obviously need to take time myself to really reflect on that. Who and what do I value? Who and what do I live for? That's a very profound question. Who and what would I die for? Equally challenging. Often people say their children, if they have children. I guess there are people in our history who've died for causes, have died for social justice, have died to save another. You know, we don't usually have a choice around what we die for, you know, we we do all die. But I think this is a different question. Maybe the question is something about how, what would you put yourself on the line for? What would you really stand up for? You know, we've, we've seen women this week standing up for other women and we've seen women and men stand up for um for women to be safe we've seen women standing up for and men and for justice um we see people who are uh transgendered people standing up for their rights we've seen a surge of black lives matter it doesn't all have to be political but what would you die for What does my life mean to me now? It's like, what is the meaning in your life? What does your life mean to you now? We often have people who come to counselling and psychotherapy training because they have lost meaning. And indeed come into therapy because they have lost meaning. And of course, counselling and psychotherapy isn't the only way. People find meaning through through tending the land, through growing a garden, through walking, through exploring, through meeting friends. So, so let's, let's really not just focus this on psychotherapy. So the next one is what could it mean? So not only what does life mean to me now, but what could it mean This is really an invitation to consider, um, for those of you who listen to the broadcast on script, it's like, what what, what do we want life to look like? So we keep walking down the same street. What street could we be walking down? And of course, that's not as easy as it sounds. What does my life mean to others now? So there's something about we don't live alone, 
We may live alone, but we don't live in isolation. We live in societies. We live in communities. We live in multi-diverse cultural experience. We live in, in, in a nation. We live in the world. So what does my life mean to others now? What would others be saying about you? How is that congruent with your values and how you want to live? Would others know what you live for, what you die for? Or what does my life mean to others now and others to come? I think that really makes me think about the environment and all that's been happening in terms of over the last decades with the destroying of our world and that it took a young person to really awaken us to that uh, and that there's still a lot of denial. And so how are our lives right now going to impact on generations to come? What is my way of being with my children? How am I pioneering for them? How am I championing the future for not only my children, but for all our children, whether we have children or not? Um, there's a lot going on right now in the world. And it does feel that we've lost our way. Uh, and that's why this poem uh, that I shared, the poem that I shared, I think is really significant. I think this is an opportunity to find a different way to re-examine our values, to reconsider what it is I live for, what it is I would die for, what life means to me, what life means, what could it mean, what my life means to others, how do I serve myself and my community, how do I position myself in my community. It, it may be that some people really do need others to reach out to them. There's some people who are reflecting on this right now here with me who feel very alone and unseen. And this maybe feels just too much to, to reach. So, so there's something about not only how am I and others reaching out to support others, but at the same time, how am I reaching out and asking for help? Do I act in such a way as to preserve and enhance creation? Are we all doing our bit to preserve creation? Are we making a stand? It's often really difficult. Um, I know recently that um, I have children who are, are taking... GCSEs currently and uh, it's really difficult to hold a balance of the importance of achieving, the importance of, of recognition of qualifications alongside the impact right now of children being in a pandemic, being catastrophically stopped in their tracks, having lives that are not normal for teenagers and yet at the same time being expected to carry on. And in and, 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 and the way that in many ways how we don't have themes of mental health and support of mental health as the ordinary in our lives. To be alive is to be 
in some existential crisis. To be alive is to feel at times despair, depression, anxiety. And yet, uh, this is underground. Often it's underground. We're not really spoken about or not really felt about. What is really important? List the five things you value most in life. So for me, it's going to be love, relationship, realness, being with the other, walking alongside the other, striving for for equity, knowing that there's nobody bigger than ourselves. And then rate these in priority. There's a challenge. And then from that, once you have this list, how do you relate them to your home life, your social life, the wider community, your work? Uh, and, and next week, I, I might carry on with this because that's not the end of the questionnaire, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a lead in. I'm mindful of time and aware that I need to now come to an end. So take care, everybody. Look after yourselves and I will look forward to joining you next week. Thank you. Good morning. Welcome to Redbridge Community Radio. Uh, I'm delighted to be back with you this week and thank you to those who listened to the broadcast last Monday. Uh, I got some lovely feedback uh, and really appreciated it. I'm going to introduce myself for those who are listening in for the first time today. My name is Victoria Baskerville. I'm a transactional analyst psychotherapist and I am director of the TA East London Counselling and Psychotherapy Training Institute. The reason that I'm facilitating uh, these, well, broadcasts is um, in order to really bring transactional analysis theory and practice to the community. So TA East is very much a community-based organisation and the roots of our organisation are very much about social justice and social responsibility. Eric Byrne, who developed transactional analysis, he really wanted to bring psychotherapy and indeed psychoeducation to, to the masses uh, and to lay people. He wanted to move away from this very privileged uh, view of psychotherapy uh, and, and psychology. And he really had a vision uh, to make transaction analysis accessible in terms of language, in terms of concepts, and that they could be applied in a simple way to self and in a way that really brings a light on the self and our relationship with others. So TA East is very much, it's an organisation, it's a, an institute that's based in the community. Uh, we're housed in the Leighton Municipal Building and we're also housed in the Leighton Stone Library, which really keeps us in touch with the world and really keeps us in the heart of the urban community. So psychotherapy historically has been very much based on a Western, white and, and middle class profession. And of course, we live in a very diverse London and, uh, and, and um, Britain. And uh, my passion and my vision is to, be, to make psychotherapy training as well as psychotherapy to be accessible 
to um, to all uh, and to really be representative of the transcultural uh, context that, that we live in. And at the same time, in terms of thinking about the, the social justice and the social responsibility lens, to really have a wider worldview. So often uh, therapy and counselling is, of course, it is and needs to be about working with the individual clients and really needs to be about looking at the individual world of the client. However, there's so much going on in the world right now. We're, we're all in a pandemic. Um, there's been a lot of extremes in terms of different political views. And um, I think that we really need to look out into the world and really think about how we're relating to ourselves, to each other and to the wider world. So as I say, the, the real hashtag of TA East is, is this in the community for the community and usually as you would have heard last week we, we've been able to go to festivals and do library events etc and really go out and reach out to people because i don't know if how many people really reach in or, or, or even have the the privilege i, I think or, or the social um, and economic support to reach into psychotherapy so so we're really challenging ourselves to reach out now, of course, that's not been possible recently to be out in the world. So hence, this is why uh, I'm on the radio each week, hoping to reach people. And it, I guess if one person um, hears a transaction analysis concept that speaks to them, that speaks to their heart, then that's something. And I, I think that what I love about transactionalysis is people can have one piece of theory that for a moment can ha really bring alive an aspect of self and bring an insight and that can make a difference. So I'm going to, each week, I'm going to focus on a different concept. Uh, there are lots of theoretical models in transactionalysis. There are many ways of thinking about personality, thinking about how we relate to each other, thinking about how our history influences our present, really putting a light on whether we are in the now, in the here and now, or whether we are enacting something of our past. So last week I looked at ego states, and, and those of you who didn't listen in might want to go onto the Redbridge Community Radio website and, and listen in. Um, but this week I'm going to start thinking about life script. So Eric Byrne, who was the founder of Transactionalysis, uh, he talked about, he developed a piece of theory called life script. And what he said is that in childhood, we write our own script. We write our own life plan, which is as a consequence of, of our experience. So we base our life script on our experience of how we experience our parents, what messages we receive from our parents, and indeed the wider world, our family, uh, our, our culture. So based on that, we make decisions. Now, if you think of a child and the very early experience of a child, what Byrne would have said is that the script gets written really from being in the womb. Some people would argue pre that, in that generational script. So we write our own story. We write our own plan. 
And Burns said that by the age of six, this plan is made. Now, of course, this plan is unconscious. He calls it a decisional script, that we decide our own script. And I guess some people would argue that it doesn't really feel very decisional. But he says that because we base our beliefs on how we understand our experience. And that's why you get children in families who've had very similar experiences, yet they have very different personalities because they've interpreted their experience of that family in different ways, through a different lens, through a different set of spectacles. And, and the, these, this script, what Burns says, and, uh, is that it is formed by the age of six and is reinforced and may be updated in teenage years. Now, of course, children and young people and adults suffer trauma. And I think in those traumas, it may be that script changes. Uh, but I think what Burn was saying is fundamentally, we lay down our foundation and our life plan by the age of six, that fundamental core self, set of beliefs. So he would say that we decide what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about others, and what we believe about the world. And then we base our behaviours on this. We base our feelings on this, what feelings we are allowed to have, what feelings we can't have. And these are constantly reinforced by experiences, by memories, and by repeating experiences. So I'm thinking about how you might start to get some insights into your own script because it is an unconscious plan and it really does Burn would say this is our destiny this is how we live our lives so so we write this script by six and we live by that set of beliefs for the rest of our lives and we we behave as if they are the reality we behave as if they are the truth and we see the world through that lens. It's a little bit like if you imagine an elephant in the room with a group of people all looking at the elephant. But of course, they're all going to be positioned around the room and everybody's going to have a different view of that elephant. Some of them will see the tail, some of them will see the trunk, some of them will be right up against the, the side of the elephant. Yet they're all seeing the same elephant. Well, the, the same elephant is in the room, but each of them has a different lens. So script is seen as the lens on ourselves and our worlds, and it is the formation of our personality. So script exercise. Let's let take some time to 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 just muse this for yourself. To um, to reflect, I, I want to help you to get into thinking about your script. So one of the ways in might be to think about a story in childhood um, or um, a programme or a character that, that speaks to you. Another way of getting into life script may be to think about your life play. So this is an exercise that we often do with trainees and, and sometimes with clients. So if you were writing your own play, your own life play, what would that look like? So 
What would it be called? How would it start this play? How does it end? Who are the players in the play? Who is centre stage? Who is personing the curtains, the lights? Who is the narrator? Is it a comedy? Is it a tragedy? Is it a documentary? Where are you on this stage? Are you centre stage? Are you backstage? Are you the narrator of your own life? Or indeed, are you being narrated by somebody else? Now, of course, I really want to acknowledge that life events happen that we don't have control of and that terrible things happen to people. I mean, if we think about the pandemic right now, this has happened to us. It's not something that any of us have created. And of course, there are people that are in more challenging situations than others. And there are people that are more privileged than others. And there are some people that are living in circumstances right now that are very difficult. And there are people that are able to stay home and work. And there are people who are having to be out in the world every day. So, of course, the world's circumstances are different. However, the way that we view all this and the beliefs that we bring to this will be influenced by our script. And I think it's important to say that, of course, our individual script is also influenced by our family script and also our cultural script and also the wider world. So we have to acknowledge here that, that in terms of discrimination and in terms of power dynamics, that some people will not feel they have the same life autonomy as others. However, today I'm very much focusing on the individual script, the script that that person decided in their childhood based on their early experience, their beliefs about themselves, others and the world. So writing your own play, I invite you after this radio um, broadcast to sit down and write your play. It's like, what does your life look like right now? And it's through the process of this in psychoeducation groups and indeed in counselling and psychotherapy that we can become aware. So I said to you that script is an unconscious life plan. And what the aim is, is to bring it into adult awareness, here and now awareness, that we become aware of the set of beliefs that we live by and therefore the behaviours that we, that we use within ourselves and also the feelings that we allow ourselves to have. So through knowing script, we can then make different choices. And, and actually the, the process of counselling and psychotherapy in transactional analysis is really fundamentally about awareness. It's about adult awareness. It's about bringing the unconscious into the conscious. And at the point that we are aware, as Eric Burns said, we can never again say we don't know what we're doing. And it brings great responsibility. 
And of course, in forming our life script, we find others that are going to complement our script. We, we develop a landscape in our life that serves that script. So I'm going to invite you to, to, I'm going to invite you to reflect on a few exercises which, which will be in some ways challenging and will just be the start of what I hope a process of self-reflection. Another way of thinking about script might be what keeps happening to you over and over again? Where do you end up? What do you end up feeling regularly? That is another way of thinking and tracking back what your beliefs are about yourself. So when we think about script, when we're in script, and what Byrne would have said is that very much as long as we're alive, we are in script to some degree, because there is so much around us that is, is, is socially constructed. And so to really get to the essence of, of our authentic selves and being out of script isn't probably a lifelong challenge. And of course, I don't think we're fully ever out of script. Um, I, I just want to um, take you to what we call the script system, the way that we keep the script going. So early in life, we may have formed a belief. It may be something like, I'm not good enough. And then we're going to have a belief about others that's going to link to that. So I'm not good enough. Others are better. And then maybe the be belief about the world is, the world is unsafe. Or the world is threatening. Or the world is unpredictable. Or the world doesn't see me. So you can see how they come together. I am not good enough. Others are better. The world is unsafe. When I'm in those beliefs, then I'm going to be behaving in a way that is congruent, that is true to that belief. So if I believe that I am not good enough, I'm probably not really putting myself out into the world. And if I think about the life play, the, the, the play that I've just asked you to reflect on, I'm certainly not going to be the centre stage. I'm certainly not going to be the narrator. I'm certainly not going to have the star role. I'm probably going to be behind in the curtains and maybe even casting the light. Maybe I'm the person who's putting the light on others because I believe that I'm not good enough and I believe that others are better and I believe that the world is unsafe. So you can start to see that from our beliefs that then impacts our behaviour and our way of being in the world. And then at the same time, I'm going to have feelings inside me, feelings that are, again, congruent to the belief that I'm not good enough. So I'm probably going to feel some level of maybe anxiety, some level of despair or even depression. I'm certainly not going to be feeling joyful. So I'm going to have feelings that go with this, but I'm also going to be suppressing other feelings because as long as I'm saying to myself, 
I am not good enough. Others are better. The world is unsafe. I'm repressing any other feelings that I might have around feeling angry, feeling joyful, uh, and maybe feeling in some ways real fear. The reason why I had to, in the first time, develop a belief that I'm not good enough. Others, I guess, may even develop a belief of I am special. And of course, people are special. And that, you know, many mothers and parents would mostly see their child as special. Yet if we believe we are special and others aren't, then that is also a difficulty in terms of script. So back to the I'm not good enough. So I'm not good enough, that's my belief. Internally, I guess I'm feeling under threat. Behaviorally, I'm behaving as if I am under threat. Now, of course, this is reinforced, was originally developed as my experience, perhaps the way I understood my early experience. And remember that script is formed by six. So we have a very primitive understanding of the world pre-six. And remember that children don't have cognition till about three. So some of these beliefs will have been made in the body. Some of them will be how the baby picks up on mother's beliefs and feelings intuitively. intuitively. So, so you can see that this self the core self, the core personality of self is based on a very primitive understanding of self. And then what Byrne talked about, Byrne talked about that we see, that we see in the, in the man, we see in the woman, we see in the person, we see their six-year-old self. You might have heard of many psychologists that talk about that in, in, the adult, you can see the child. And many of us are walking round as our six-year-old selves. And we, you know, we're 40, we're 50, and we're living by a set of beliefs that we formed early on in childhood. So having this insight, we can really start to think about how we might change it. And I invite you today to reflect on one aspect of your scripts that you might like to change. Thank you. I hope you found the exercise useful. I'd now like to read a poem, which I think really illustrates how we re keep reenacting script and indeed how we can move out of script. I think something that I'd really like to say before I do this is to really honor that we all do have a script and we all do have a script as as a way of surviving in the world. So I think it's really important that we're respectful and honoring of how come we have the beliefs we have. We have the beliefs based on our original experience and based on the ways that we learn to survive in our families. And I hope that as these broadcasts unfold, I'll be able to give more insight into how we develop script. So I'm going to read a poem, which is in the book, TA Today, An Introduction to Transactional Analysis, written by Ian Stewart and Van Joins, and the poem was written by Portia Nelson. 
and she calls it an autobiography in five short chapters. It's a story of coming out of script. I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I am in the same place. But it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. I walk down another street. I want to just go through each paragraph. So the first paragraph, I walk down the street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in, I am lost, I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. That is showing how we continue, each of us, to keep reenacting the same script, the same set of beliefs that we formed pre-six, and we repeat them and repeat them in our thinking, in our feeling, and in our behaviour. And it is out of awareness. But what we find ourselves is we find ourselves in the same situations over and over again. The second paragraph, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It takes a long time to get out. So here what we show is the repetition, the repetition of over and over again, of really denying Denying our repeating behaviours, denying how come I'm having the same outcome at work, how come I'm getting into the same relationships over and over again. But still, pretending that everything's okay, not taking responsibility. This is the beginning of awareness and it is uncomfortable and painful. The next paragraph, I walk down the same street there is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. So this person in the process of whether it's psychotherapy or self-development is really aware in their adult now of their repeated patterns. They know that the deep hole's there. They know that they're in a habit or in a recurring behavior. And they also know that they're responsible. And they also then have the choice to get out immediately. 
I think that sometimes people need to repeat over and over and over again this living script and awareness before they can get out. And sometimes that's years, sometimes it's decades. The next paragraph, I walk down the same street. There is a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. So this person now is really choosing a different path. They are aware of their script. They are aware that they're responsible and they are aware that they can make a different choice. The final paragraph, I walk down another street. That's autonomy. That's somebody who has freed themselves of maybe their core script or certainly an aspect of their script. Eric Byrne had lots of analogies of becoming script free. He talked about getting our own show on the road. He had many ideas around what script free would look like. What I invite you to think about as I did in the exercise is what element of your script may you reflect on and consider is no longer useful to you. Strategies that we held in childhood, age six, are no longer strategies that are healthy in adulthood. Eric Byrne also had a, a, a thoughts around the winner's script and also, of course, we, we have autonomy as well. So I don't want this all to be about the pathology of self, but also about really offering insight and choice and also honouring that some people don't have the same choice as